says, get that India, big boy. Good evening, ladies and gents. Welcome to the post-game show for the Parramatta Eels here at the home of the Eels. Para Leagues, live from Jack's Bar and Grill. I'm your host, John, also known as 4020. Joining me tonight to break down all the action and talk some footy with one of the Parramatta Eels greats, Steve Eller, is my mate Craig, or 60s. How you doing, big fella? Mate, I'm good. And I know it's... I know we've just had a loss. But how about a round of applause for Eels legend, Steve Eller? I think we've got some Broncos supporters here that are really enjoying the night tonight. <laughs> you deserve the win. Far too good, so congratulations. Uh, now, we're going we're gonna to break down tonight's game with Steve, but before we do that, we've got a few things we want to talk to you about, Steve. Um, your last year with the Eels was actually the Broncos' inaugural year, was it not? Uh, first off, guys, yeah, welcome. Thanks for having me here. Yeah, uh, 88, uh, Broncos' first year. It's probably my last year playing at the Eels, yeah. So can you remember how the Parramatta players felt or, or the league community in general felt about the inclusion of the Broncos in the premiership back then? Uh, I think they were pretty excited, actually, because um, we played Brisbane a couple of times in, in our trials and they were really competitive, so... Um, I think it was a really good move to bring, actually bring him in a comp. So, and I suppose it was also the, the opportunity that Brisbane had a lot of uh, Australian players in their in their team. So they had a good had a good lineup. So um, yeah, it was pretty exciting to play against them in that first initial year. And it wasn't just the Broncos. During your career, you were in I suppose a pioneering period for rugby league expansion. Included Canberra, Newcastle, Illawarra, Gold Coast, and obviously the, the Brisbane Broncos too. Did you enjoy? that part of the game where it sort of the expansion led to a lot of travel and going across the eastern seaboard? I think the expansion was good for the game. We, as players, and back in the early days, we enjoyed that. Um, it was, I suppose it gave us the opportunity to play out of Sydney because at that time we were just playing in Sydney and everything was based in Sydney, so it was the opportunity to, to travel uh, different places to play and, yeah, we thought it was exciting, so we, uh, we enjoyed it. And just turning back to Queensland itself, you played both with and against some Queensland immortals during your career. Who was the greatest Queenslander that you came across in your career? Oh, that's, that's easy. Wally's the best player I've played against. Um, Wally, Wally's like Sterling in a lot of ways. Wally could see a, place, a, couple, a, couple, a couple of plays in advance and I played a lot of, a lot of times with Wally in the Australian team and... Um, yeah, until you play with Wally, you don't, you don't realise how important he is to a team. Um, so he was the best player I played against. The other two Queenslanders who uh, I thought were, were, um, were outstanding was G Miles and uh, Greg Dowling. I played, I played with Greg Dowling in um, uh, Wigan uh, back in 85-86. So me and, me and uh, GD played over there and he was just wonderful to play with. And, and G Miles was just a wonderful fellow, but, but he was one, one hell of a footballer as well. It's always fascinating hearing people talk about the King Wally Lewis because it's those intangibles that you sort of alluded to that seem to make him a player that, you know, reached such rarefied heights. Well, he had, he had the talent, he had the skill, but he had, his, his biggest asset from my perspective was his, uh, his mental capacity. Mm-hmm. And he was, he was 
when, Queen, when Brisbane were in trouble, when Queensland were in trouble, Wally was always the one to put his hand up to get him out of trouble. He was playing the game within the game. He, he was, was always, always, it was always the person to put his hand up in every situation. And no matter how tough the game was or where the game was at, Wally was always the, the one who actually pushed Queensland through the, the pain barrier to get where they needed to get to. And yeah, he was, yeah, he was one hell of a player to play with, but too hard to play against. And I was just going to say, you, you got a lot of praise there for Wally, and he played in the same position as, of course, your great mate Brett Kenny. But as far as 5 eights are concerned, it was two completely different styles of game that they played. So. How would you rank them, and, and should they be ranked against each other given the way that they played? Well, they played differently, but if you're going to rank them, I'd, I mean, I'd probably rank Wally the best 5 8 I played against, and best of best 5 8 I played with. There we go. That, that sounds oh, that, a good way. That, that is a really good way to get around it. Yep. I just got to realise how, how good Brett was. Brett oh, was yeah, it's, probably the best, it's probably the best player I've ever seen. I mean, 60s is always championing the course for Brett Kenny. He is truly a phenom. And, you know, obviously the Blue and Gold fans adore him, but he probably should get some great applaudits in the wider rugby league community. Another Queenslander you brought up just then, Mean Gene Miles, very good player. Is it true he was close to joining the Parramatta Eels at one point? Yeah, we spoke to Dennis when Dennis was the uh, football um, secretary just to get uh, Gene down here. And, um, yeah, unfortunately that, that uh, didn't happen. But we also had the opportunity to get... Um, Sam Backow as well. Um, we knocked Sam Backow back and he went to Brisbane and played for Australia for the next four years. So um, that was a yeah, good decision. Yeah. It would have been an interesting addition, such a character as well. Yep. I mean, how would you have enjoyed playing alongside Sam Backow? Oh, Sam was a good player. It was, it was a tough player, but at that time we were in the process of losing both uh, Terry Lee Beater and uh, Jeff Bugden, so we didn't have a big front row, so um, we needed that punch uh, up front and he would have given it to us, but... He went to the Broncos and, um, yeah, history was made with him up there. And um, just we'll, we'll keep that Queensland theme coming because we've just had the conclusion of the Origin series and um, the passion of the Queenslanders has been something that has been so, uh, talked about in the fallout, like comparing the the passion that New South Wales players have for their jersey compared to the passion that the uh, Queenslanders have for their jersey to New South Wales. Is, is passion something... You've worn that blue jersey. So is the passion for the jersey something that's exclusive to the Maroons or is that, is that just, uh, I suppose, an urban myth that it's just them and it's not so much the Blues? Well, I think every New, South, every New South Wales player would dispute the fact that they're not passionate about their state. So, uh, yeah, I think both, both states are very passionate about uh, their, who they're representing and how, and how they're going to play. Um, unfortunately, it comes down to who, who performs best uh, on the day. And Queensland were more enthusiastic. They were more, um, were, I suppose, up for the fight and um, it showed in the, in the way the game was played. Whenever there's a serious decider up in Suncorp or Lang Park in the various iterations that it's been, I always wince because you know it's going to be the toughest of games. What makes the Queenslanders, whether it's Brisbane or the Maroons, so difficult to beat up there? Well, it's when you're on stand on the field and they're throwing cans at you. <laughs> <laughs> or you're travelling on the bus down to the game and they're throwing cans at the bus. <laughs> and Well, that, that was when we were, playing, we were there. That was what used to happen when we were there. But, mm -hmm. well, just, their supporters are, are, are passionate. Yeah. And um, I think they're... Um, 
you go into into Lane Park, it's it's just one of those things. That's, it's or whatever stadium it's called now, but it's just one of those areas that uh, the, the crowd bring are in the game from the start, and they and they make Queensland play better. So across the series, the, the last series that we've just had, what was the difference between the two teams? Uh, Queensland won. Just as simple as that. They just they scored more points. Yeah, yeah. Just played. They I mean, just at, played better football. Is that? I mean, everyone's got their idea, got their ideas or thoughts on how the game went. But in that last game, Queensland were just more more. They're more physical in, in, in regards to our team. They were more um, enthusiastic, and they they fought on every play when we didn't fight on every play. So, I mean, it's just a toll with with the results. So, it just I'm going to come back to. And I don't know whether this relates to what a lot of journos have been talking about when it comes to to passion or the difference between the teams, but the selection strategies with the teams. I've banged on that I, I, I thought that the Queensland really stuck solid with their players this year and it was like a family, um, whereas uh, there was a few baffling decisions, I thought, with Brad Fittler's calls with the the team selection and I've taken the stance that maybe this year's series was almost like an all-stars series as far as New South Wales was concerned and the coaches were simply picking the team that, well, Brad Fittler was picking a team that fits his needs. Am I being too harsh with that sort of stance on it, like saying a he, as a modern-day coach, is picking the team that way, or has it always been that way with a coach in, in Origin or any rep teams, that the coaches are picking players that fit their needs as the coach? Well, Queensland's always picked a team they think can win the game. They don't care how they're playing. They don't care how they're, how they're performing. They don't care if... I mean, for example, when we played Queensland in, in State of Origin games, they picked Dave Brown from the Roosters Reserve grade. Um, they picked players who uh, hadn't played great at all. So they didn't care what their form was. They, they picked players who they knew could win the game. Yep. Um, so I know the media keep talking about picking players in form, but realistically, you've just got to pick players who can win the game for you. And that's what Queensland have always done. They're not, they're not interested in, in are they playing their best footy right now. They don't care as long as they know they can, they can, they can win the game for them. And, that's, that's their, and they've been doing that for a long time. Well, never stop them from picking a player from reserve grade even to, to take or the field. Or Alfie from the Super League. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. They'll, they'll, they'll make a decision based on what they, what they think is, the, is going to win them a game. And, and they're, they're good at it. They've been doing that for a long time. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, from one Queensland team to another, let's talk about what happened out at Combank Stadium today, mate. Mm-hmm. Brisbane Broncos, Victors 36, the Parramatta's 14. First thing that jumped out to me in this game was the troubling second-phase football of the Brisbane Broncos, which led to a lot of six-agains and obviously the open-field footy. Uh, First-half possession splits heavily favoured the Broncos on the back of it. I think it was something close to 60% by the time the final whistle was done. How did you see that playing out for Parramatta? Well, I just didn't think, I just didn't think they controlled... Um, uh, who's the halfback for Broncos? Adam Reynolds. Adam Reynolds. Yeah. He was outstanding. Yeah. His kicking game didn't allow us into the game. His kicking game kept us away from the ball. That, um, he just controlled the game. He had it on a string tonight. And that was the done. second part of my question was yeah. how influential was that kicking game? Well, his, his kicking game just told the story. It's just, they controlled the whole game through, his, through his kicking game and, and the way he, he provided direction for his team. It was a real mixed bag too because he had those really shallow testing kicks for Gufferson really find, you know, finding out if he's got the closing speed. 
and towards the sideline. And unfortunately for the Eels, they were very uh, probing. Well, one thing about um, Adam Reynolds, he's, he's been a good player for a long, long time and everyone knows how good he is in regards to mm-hmm. how he can control a game. And um, He's got a lot of good young players around him now and um, I think he's, he was outstanding tonight and I don't think he let our, our team into the game at all. Well, Craig and I have been talking about that in the lead-up to this game, how much a difference players like he and Kirk Capel have made for that young Brisbane core who in the last couple of years have sort of struggled to find direction but with a halfback steering them now, all of a sudden, they're really playing good football. Well, they've, they've been outstanding the last couple of weeks, mm-hmm. Broncos, and I think they're, they're only going to get better. But I, um, like I said, they, they had, they've struggled the last couple of years, but they've got a young, a young team. But now those young players are getting a bit of um, uh, strength behind them and, and some experience behind them. And having an experienced leader like Adam Reynolds is going to make them a lot, a lot tougher to beat. So I just think they, um, they've proved that they're a, they're a tough side tonight. Well, they certainly didn't seem to be lacking in confidence in that first half. The positive play that they were putting on, we've, we've talked about the offloads, but that's, that sort of play was, as you talked about, it was really balanced by the composure of Reynolds, like steering them around. So you had, you had the players that were prepared to chance their arm, and the more that they seemed to chance their arm, the more it seemed to take a deflection here or there or get the six again, but... It's the old saying, you make your own luck, isn't it? Well, if Tom had a chance to run, if it didn't work, he'd go back to, to settling the team down and actually put him in position to, just, uh, with that calm influence he's got. Yeah. Um, he was able to, to bring his team back to, I suppose, a level where they could concentrate and go again. So, uh, to me, he was, he, was, um, he was by far the best player in the field. And uh, his kicking game, like I said before, just dominated our team. And, and uh, the, more, the more they had the ball, the more defence we had to do, it just... They just stifled our attack. And obviously he wasn't alone in playing a good hand out there. Payne Haas won the pillars there, Ford Pack, very good. But a player that's really made the jump this year, both at uh, state level and club level, Patrick Carrigan, he was outstanding for the Broncos. Well, he, was out, he was outstanding for Queensland as well. Yeah, he was. I think <laughs> that, I mean, I've, I've watched the game and all the games I've watched at Paramount, every time we're physical and we're, we're, we're dominating in, in, the, in the physical space, we go really well and, win, and normally win the games. But I think we've been... We've been um, uh, pushed around a fair bit, and um, we're not reacting to it, uh, that as good as what we would hope. Because the more we're physical, the better we are. The less physical, the worse we are. And and just on that, the a key moment. It, well, actually, it probably didn't end up making much of a difference to the game. But the sin bidding of uh, Will Penasini, did you see that as a as a just call? No, I didn't think it had any impact at all. Because they scored a try, we scored a try, so. I don't think it had that much of an impact. The Eels hinted at, at making a bit of a comeback in the second half. They had some nice movements from right to left. Uh, they got Jordan Pereira a little bit mixed up here and there. Uh, how, how far off the pace were they in the second half? Obviously, we saw uh, Wunga Blake have a try taken off the board by the obstruction, not obstruction, but uh, running into Adam Reynolds in the defensive line. Were they, if they'd scored there, could they have made a comeback or were they just that far off the pace through the middle like you talked about before? I, I thought they were off the pace a fair bit of it. I mean, we started the second half badly. Like from a kickoff, we dropped the ball. Yeah. Schoolboy so stuff, so right that, there. Yeah. That puts us in on the back foot from the start, and, and from that, Reynolds kicks the ball in the corner and they score. So we we, we want to put in a situation where we want to claw some of that score back, and all of a sudden they've got another six points on us, and so straight away puts it back on the back foot, and then the panic starts to set in, and so, yeah, so it's, it's a difficult situation for our team after after a poor start. In a match like that, where those sorts of 
basic errors start to creep into the game and you feel like the game's getting away from you, who needs to stand up or, or what needs to be done to turn that around, to, to get it back on track during a game? Like if I had that answer, I'd be a coach. <laughs> I have no idea. I mean, when you're, when you're struggling, when you're, when you're playing a game and you're struggling, it's really hard because you, you can't say they're not trying. They're out there trying their asses off. Yeah. But things aren't working for them. And that's, that's the problem. The more things don't work for you, the harder you try, the worse you get. Yeah. So where Broncos, the harder, the harder they tried, the calmer they become because they had a, they had a good... A good um, a halfback who actually led them around and calmed their team down when they needed to be calmed down, lift their team up when they needed to be lifted up. So it was, a, it was a sort of, from our perspective, we were panicking in a lot of sense because we needed to score. But the, Bron- the Broncos were just, they were just cruising, basically. The win lifts the Broncos a full two points clear of the Parramatta Reels. You both came into this round for 11 wins apiece. Parramatta do have a tough run home, but a lot of home games in that mix. How do you see the rest of the season playing out for the Blue and Gold? What have they got to do to get right? And if they do, how far can they go? Well, it all starts against Penrith. I mean, one of the things that I know about our team is when, when, the, when the big games come up, they actually perform really well. Um, so I, I expect them to, to, to be tough next week against Penrith. I expect them, my expectation is they'll beat Penrith next week. And a lot of people don't think that, but I, I think they will. But um, I know that they're not playing great against crap teams or the not so good teams um, and they're inconsistent everyone knows that, everyone's talking about that but against the really good teams they perform and they've, and they've, they've got the runs on the board to be able to do that, they've got a team to be able to do that, all they need to do is finish in the top four if they can finish in the top four they're a chance if they, um, they get beaten next week by Penderford it makes it a lot harder for us and that game against um, Tigers and uh, Bulldogs come, come back to come into play, yeah. come back to bite them. Yeah. And I was saying to Craig on the way here, in a way there's a bit of a mirroring of earlier in the season where we played the North Queensland Cowboys up in Darwin. Didn't have a very good performance against them who also proven to be quite a good team this year. But that backed up into that Penrith game on a short turnaround where we obviously turned into very good performance. Maybe there's a bit of mirroring going on this week to next week as well where we sort of didn't play our best football against the Broncos but can turn it around against Penrith. Well, you hope so. I mean, like I say, they... They won't be happy about tonight. Absolutely. They'll, yeah. um, they'll go home and they'll think about it. There's certainly a lot of um, work they need to do. Mm-hmm. But next week's a new game. You can't uh, ex- uh, lose one game and go in the next week and say we're going to lose because we lost last yeah, week. Exactly. You, you've got to go in the next game in a positive frame of mind and I think they'll do that. Well, the, the boys were up in the beautiful Central Coast in this last week or so in camp to be focusing for this week's game. Did you see the sort of focus that you might have expected from being in camp? Or is a change to the usual routines maybe something that doesn't work for some teams? I mean, that's a hard one because if, if they would have won tonight, everyone said that, that would have been a perfect uh, antidote. But, yeah, it's a tough one. It's, sometimes it works, for, it works for teams, sometimes it doesn't. Um, and that's, that's a decision for the coach and coach has got to live or die by his decision. So, I mean, I don't know whether it was a good thing or a bad thing. All right, Steve, we've kept you up here long enough. We've uh, had a good talk about State of Origin, good talk about what happened in this game. Anything else you want to have a chat about before we go or just let you move on into the I'm night? not going to dance. I'm <laughs> not going to sing. <laughs> now, for the, anyone that missed us last week, we had Neville Glover here showing off his dance moves. Um, I asked Steve during the week, has he got anything that he'd like to share? He said, nah, nah. <laughs> if if, if <laughs> there was the uh, Parramatta Talent Show, though, what are you bringing to the stage? Me? Yeah. 
Um, Casper the Friendly Ghost will disappear. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I've got to ask you, because I mentioned to you, I caught Eric Groth and his band a couple of weeks back, and then Neville there with his dancing. In amongst your, your Parramatta teammates, is there anyone that had a talent that not many people know about? You know, maybe they just reserved it for get-togethers, barbecues, drinks, down the pub, whatever the case may be, that you can share with us, just a secret talent of one or two players? Uh, Brett Kenny. Yeah. Brett Kenny, he, he makes farts with his hands. <laughs> so if, if you're in an elevator... Watch out. ...and you stand and Brett's next to you, he makes the fart noise with his hands, then looks at you, and if there's other people in the elevator, they... They think things he's actually farted, so but he's best been doing that for a long time. So he's like, yeah, it's, that's, a, that's a okay. A couple, just a couple of questions before uh, before we let you. Maybe if there's people here who'd love to get a, a photo or or something signed by Steve, I'm sure he doesn't mind um, being able to do that for you. Um, but a couple of predictions from you. How do you think the Broncos go for the rest of the year? What what do you see playing out for them? Well, after tonight's performance, I think they'll finish top four. I don't think that's unreasonable. As long as Adam Reynolds stays healthy, they'll go a long way uh, up the ladder, I think. And I think Ezra Mam's been pretty handy as a young rookie in his offside position there. And then, yeah, just we talked about it, the young talent across the back line in the fourth pack. It's very good. So, Can they match it with the likes of Penrith, do you think, in the final series? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, so I think Parramatta can, can match it with Penrith. That's... I've always thought that, and I think we can. We've got the team there. I'm not sure Penf- uh, Broncos could actually. Well, they probably could, but um, it's it's a toss of the coin. It might be a case. They've got of look, Broncos got some terrific players. Yeah, they've got some wonderful players, and I mean, Danny Stags in the back line, and the and the other centre they got, they've got a, a really lethal back. Uh, uh, got, uh, Centers and, and wingers and fullbacks. So I don't think it's a, ta- a question of talent for the Broncos. I think much like Parramatta in the last couple of years, it could be just a learning experience in the postseason about what it takes in sudden death football to get over that line. But in terms of talent, I think Brisbane are definitely one of the teams to watch. I think the X factor for them is still Adam Reynolds. If he's, yeah. he's healthy, mm-hmm. I think th- th- they'll go okay. Absolutely, yeah. you know, good call. And uh, of course, we've asked you about Brisbane. What's your What's your prognosis? What's your tip for what happens with Parramatta? Well, I, I'm still confident that they'll, they'll finish the season really well. Whether it's top four, I don't know. It uh, depends on next week. Yep. We've um, just made it harder on ourselves. We, so. have, yeah. we have made it harder. Well, I think that the drop in the game against um, West Tigers and Bulldogs uh, is really going to come back to bite us. Yeah. So um, if they'd won tonight, yeah, easily top four. Because they didn't win tonight, I, I, I don't know. I just mm-hmm. toss the coin. That's a, a fair way to wrap it up, mate. As always, an absolute blast to have you on the tip sheet. You are truly one of the legends of the Blue and Gold and Rugby League. Everyone, a round of applause for Steve Eller. Thanks, guys. And with the powers of post-production, we're here the morning after 60s. It was something of a short sort of wrap-up we had last night with Steve Eller uh, in the wake of that loss to the Brisbane Broncos. So I thought it was probably apt for us to sit down and have a quick chat about the game. How are you feeling with that night's sleep, mate? What night's sleep? <laughs> I, I I did not sleep at all easy last night. We'll we'll, we'll go into uh, what it was about our Eels performance that disappointed us the most. Uh, but a, a shout out to the people that came back to the club after the game last night. Horrible weather. Only eleven thousand uh, people at the game. 
you know, small crowd, awful result. But we we had a uh, a group of people that uh, we probably had a half full lounge last night, uh, not the overflowing lounge that we normally have after an Eels win. But um, yeah, thanks to the people that turned up last night, even even though a lot of them were wearing Broncos. I think we might have been outnumbered, honestly. Yeah, and, but I, I, I suppose a big I, win always helps. But they weren't obnoxious. That was at least the uh, the silver lining there. And and what was especially. Uh, great to see was the lineup that they had to have their photo taken with Steve yeah. Ella. So there's Steve taking photos with uh, Broncos supporters in mm-hmm. Jersey and hearing them talk about how much they enjoyed uh, watching him play uh, when they were younger. I suppose it's a and, testament to how good Steve was and how good that 80s run for the Parramatta was that they're just held up in that regard by even Broncos fans. Oh, look, and and how good is it for us to have this opportunity at, at the club, Paraleagues, with talking to these legends of the game. And if anyone gets the chance to talk to these greats of the Parramatta Club, please do so because they are the best people. They really are. Well, that's why we're and- so vocal about people coming down to Jack's Bar and Grill, not to listen to us ramble on, but for the opportunity you get to talk to guys like Steve Ella, Neville Glover, uh, Brett Kenny, you know, all the all the fantastic players of the 70s and 80s that are there. And like you said, not only were they great footballers, but when you have a chance to talk to them, you find out they're great people too. Oh, yeah. And Steve was having a good chat to us before we started last night. After we after we wrapped up, we um, we uh, shared a, a bit of pizza with him. And um, look, it's just great to hear his his takes on the game. There's probably some that we... we, we could have or should have grabbed for the podcast because we were, uh, you know, more things came up after after we finished. Just his his views on different things about the game, and uh, yeah, really appreciate that opportunity that we have every week. It's uh, I sometimes pinch myself with that, but uh, mm-hmm. we do have a job to do right now. We're going to try to wrap up our takes on the game as quick as we can so that we can get this podcast out. So, uh, mate, the main stats. Let's get into it. So we all know what the scoreline was. Parramatta Eels 14 falling to the Brisbane Broncos 36 in round 19 at Combank Stadium. It was a fairly, I won't say inclement weather 60s, but there was definitely some uh, pretty heavy precipitation during that first half for the Broncos. Corey Oates bagged the double, Payne Haas, Jordan Ricky, Kirk Capewell and Adam Reynolds. Speaking of Mr. Reynolds, he was flawless off the kicking tee, six from six. He never looked like missing. Uh, that certainly helped the Broncos scoring in batches of sixes instead of fours. For the Eels, Mike Acevo opened the scoring in the fourth minute. We finally got back-to-back games of getting the first try, but unfortunately couldn't go on with the job. Wonga Blake adding a try in the 37th minute and Mike Acevo getting his second in the 52nd Mitch Moses, just one from three off the tee. I will say that his two misses were very narrow squeezes to the left of the uprights. Unfortunate. And then one of the pivotal moments in the game, Will Penasini sinbinned in the 31st minute for slowing down a line break, which I, I looked on reflection 60s. I'm not too upset about that call. I am, however, frustrated that Oregon Kafusi was not treated the same as the ball carrier when we had that charge down turnaround that didn't lead to a sinbin for him getting slowed down. But that's just our NRL things. Looking at oh, pieces. look, there's... There are things about the officiating that we're not going to like, and it was one of those sorts of games last night. But we, um, we obviously we're not going to let that mask. What oh, well, the, the the issues that the team 
inflicted upon themselves 100%. Speaking of percentages, possession, even 50-50 split, which is actually kind of amazing given that just going into half time, I think we looked at it, I showed you my phone, and Brisbane was about 57% ahead. So the Eels obviously got a similar timeshare in reverse in the second half and couldn't make the most of it. Time possession ever so slightly in the favour of the Brisbane Broncos by about plus 19 seconds, 28-22 to 28-03. Completion rates, the Eels were really good in that regard in the first half. I think they were 13-14 or 14-15, but that slipped to 29-39 in the second half total, bringing them down to a 74% rate. Brisbane up above 80 at 83%. And then the uh, key attacking stats are pretty much split between the two teams. Parramatta slightly better on the meterage. The Broncos slightly head on line breaks and tackle breaks, but just marginally, 4-3, to 29-27. Eels having the better average set distance. So if you're looking at the numbers here, it looks like a very close game, which, you know what, when you, when you look at the junctures of that where the Eels let in easy points or squandered easy points, it's, the scoreboard probably should be more reflective of those stats, but here we are with that 22-point difference instead. Uh, moving on, Parramatta ahead on offloads and uh, more use of the, usage of the ball in general. Uh, both teams were pretty sloppy, diffusing kicks. Uh, both teams defended at an average rate, I'll say. I'm, I'm surprised that Parramatta actually were better than the Broncos in that capacity. 88.08% effective tackle rate for the blonde gold to the Brisbane Broncos, 862 uh, Some way, somehow, the Parramatta Eels only missed a combined missed an effective tackle count of, I want to say, 46. If I can do my maths, yeah, 46. And I don't know, that feels shockingly low, once again, for the, the way the Broncos score. But I suppose that's also reflected the fact that the, the tries that Brisbane was scoring were fairly simple at some points and didn't facilitate missed tackles. So, Well, how many how many came off the kick? True. Uh, there was at least three, right? The first one, then the grubber kick that was in the end goals, and then uh, the Corey Oates one, and then obviously Guffo got dispossessed of the ball for the last try. So we're talking four that are associated three, with kicks? Three or four, either for, off a, the error from, uh, you talk about there for Guffo and then kicks, so you don't really miss tackles in those sort of plays, so there you go. In terms of negative plays, Parramatta making 16 errors to Brisbane's eight, that's a telling stat. Uh, Par- the Brisbane Broncos conceded seven penalties to Parramatta's two. Uh, two ruck infringements uh, for the Broncos versus Parramatta's two inside tens. Geez, the six against didn't feel like that in the game, did they? That's that's funny seeing that in the black and white there. And obviously that one Sydney for Will Penasini. That's the uh, team v. team stats in terms of play stats, 60s. Uh, Red really jumps off the page here. 16 runs, 142 metres. I thought the big man was pretty solid. Uh, Sean Lane, 19 carries, 153 metres. Ryan Madison, 18 carries, 145. They're probably the pick of the forwards in a, in a night where our four-back certainly did not dominate. Uh, likewise, in terms of defence... Uh, I think every member of the starting pack missed multiple tackles, which is never a good sign. Um, even though if that overall missed tackle count wasn't high, no one was uh, killing it defensively in the starting pack. Uh, off the bench, Murata, 19 tackles, zero missed. Oggy, 22 tackles, one missed. So they're probably the pick defensively there. And yeah, it, just, it was a game where we had some real glimmers of attacking sparkle when we moved the ball in the second half it was beautiful we scored at one of the better tries you'll see down a man at the end of the first half uh, so we, we had these moments where we were starting to piece it together but then it felt like every time we had something cooking either we did something stupid or or squandered something and the Brisbane Broncos were you know as we sort of tipped coming into this game far too good an outfit to do that sort of thing Yes, some of those stats, it was interesting because it didn't seem to match the eye test. When you, I suppose the one that did match the eye test was the errors, which 
I think really when you start thinking about the way we were throwing out an arm or a leg or something in that first half and the ball was taking deflections and falling back to the Broncos and they were getting six again there, I think that was where it was feeling like there was a lot of six agains for the Broncos. Uh, I mean, what can you say? It's It, it just seems like there was a, a spread of errors, a spread of things that we just didn't do what we needed to do that you know, pinpointing how you fix it. Do you have an area, mate, where you think, well, if we could work on this this week, it's, you know, that that will start to put us in a better position for taking on the Panthers or... I think at a very, uh, very we, fundamental level, uh, a lot of this boils down to a willingness for the collision. And uh, we speak about it a lot and I feel like, you know, we, we end up sort of dragging on it at times, but... You know, rugby league is a simple game, and the team that wants the collision more offensively and defensively invariably goes on to win. Not always, but invariably they will be the favourite to win in a given contest. And last night we saw the Broncos far more willing to tear in with the ball, far more willing to chance their arms with the offloads. And while some of those offloads were reckless, and I was speaking to you about this as we're walking back to the club, uh, it opened up the Parramatta Reels. We saw that Parramatta struggled to re- in the conditions to reset their line once that offload came. And in and, and the flip side, the few times that Parramatta did get second-phase football in the game in the second half, they looked threatening. They got downhill, and suddenly the Broncos were the ones that were scrambling. And yeah, yeah. So I, I think at a very, very simple level, it was an unwillingness to win the collisions. And then obviously, I don't think that's the only issue. I think there are a few other, you know, we talk about on an individual and team basis. I think there are some issues that the team's going to have to deal with one way or the other. But the first thing on my list is the collisions. They they did not want them as much as Brisbane. Well, I I guess I'm sort of was thinking it the same way because the way that I viewed it was that the Broncos found something that the Eels couldn't. And I'm not questioning the Eels' effort. I am questioning, as you said, that, well, there was no... There was no win through the middle for the Eels, so that was obvious. Uh, we talked about the the errors that are there, but I did something a bit more unusual for me as a supporter last night, which was I was paying more attention to the opposition team than I normally do because when we were doing the preview, I was talking a lot about Adam Reynolds and the threat that he posed. And I just kept focusing on what he was doing out there because I honestly thought he was like a conductor. Oh, without a doubt. He, you know, we talked about with Corey Fenning earlier this week about the importance of doing your video review. And it's pretty clear that he did the video review on the Paramaterials to a, an A-plus standard because he picked us apart. He's a mixed repertoire in the kicking bag absolutely tormented our back three, but Gufferson in particular, he did a great job of pulling Gufferson to different parts of the field and, and having, having him make some really difficult decisions with the sideline on these kicks that pulled up just into the field of play. And I thought Guffo struggled in that regard. <sighs> but well, yeah. we'll, get, we'll get into... I think we need to, to talk about um, some of the areas that we're struggling in, but the reason that I also mention this about Reynolds is... Can you think of a moment last night where we put him under pressure with what he was doing? Uh, I, was I, was, I, was, I was watching and there were, there were guys trying to get to him. Like It wasn't like there was a, a complete absence of the kick pressure, 
but they were never getting anywhere near him by the time he got to the kick. Whereas on, on the flip side, Moses got absolutely dusted up a few times, in particular in the first half, by the you know the Broncos' kick pressure. So, yeah, I, there were guys trying to get there, but for whatever reason, they just weren't getting there in time. Yeah, I honestly expected the, the game to be Parramatta getting the jump on the Broncos. And when we got the first try... And in the in the moments after that, I was thinking we are well on top here. And then mm-hmm. that first try of theirs really, for me, came out of the blue. No, it was, that, look, that, that kicking through. And, you, you and, can you can be honest and say the Broncos were very good last night. They were also very lucky. And that first try was very indicative of that of both both things. You know, that was incredible. well. They say good teams make their own luck. And and what I was starting to pay like the more I was watching them. Maybe if there were times when I wasn't watching what Parramatta was doing enough to to be as critical as as I could be of them, but you, you also have to give credit to a team like the Broncos in the in that first half because I really like the depth and shapes that they had in their attack. Mm-hmm. As I mentioned, Reynolds with his uh, with his orchestration of what was happening out there, not not just his kicking game, but his kicking game was just unbelievable. And I and I honestly think that. When you watch him on television, it doesn't do justice to what he's doing out there because you can see him picking apart an opposition team and and uh, where the fullback and the wingers are, are, are positioning themselves because he just he had this knack. You mentioned it last night about making those awkward decisions around the sideline, but he was he was getting them to make those awkward decisions about whether to come up or or stay back with the kick. It, the 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 kicks were landing like in no man's land that. That uh, you know, if it was cricket, you'd be talking about corridors of uncertainty and all, all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. But that was literally what he was doing. And then you had the forwards that were allowed far too much latitude. Uh, Carrigan, I know he got man of, uh, man of the series in in Origin, but he he seemed to be able to almost offload at will or stand in the tackle at will. Um, Payne Haas was was difficult to pull down, but I, I want us just to think for a moment of the battle of the spine as well. Let's run through the two spines. Broncos, Tessie New, Jake Turpin, Ezra Mam, and Adam Reynolds. Now, how many of those are going to be on big money? Well, the only one that you'd, you'd hope so for the Broncos, and given their roster construction, probably backs it up is Adam Reynolds. Otherwise, Ezra Mam is a you know hot shot young rookie that's going to get paid at some point, but he's in his first NRL season. And Jake Turpin is just a guy, and Tessie New is. While we got probably the good version of Tessie New, unfortunately last night he is, you know, once again probably just a, a solid first grade in the context of the salary cap. Would you say that their spine outplayed our spine? Oh, pretty, pretty comfortably. And that's not to say there weren't you know solid contributions from a couple of our players in the spine again, but as a cohesive unit, one hundred percent, yeah, we got our players. Yeah, and, and again, this isn't there's, there's no witch hunt with this going on. We're just we're just talking facts that uh, we have a spine that we invest a lot of uh, of the salary cap in, and we spoke about the importance of of what they had or members of that spine had produced over the previous couple of weeks to contribute towards much needed victories. But I, 
and again, this isn't a question of effort with these players. It's it's a question of the execution or the decision making or uh, um, the f- finesse that might have been needed at different points. I'm I'm going to say this. Uh, I'm concerned a little bit about our defensive structure as it relates to Gutherson. And there's, yeah, the, there's the nothing of, unusual. The lack of top-end acceleration unusual. is probably what's the, the key there, isn't it, 60s, where we saw with Adam Reynolds last night, he was able to, given especially inside the 20, uh, the way we use our, our fullback defensively is pretty much the, the modern standard where he'll play in the line and then drop out and push across the field. But... Yeah, I mean, it, it's been the only real knock on Guffo's game has been the acceleration and top end speed. Part of that has been just an awful run of injuries earlier in his career, and I think just you know even outside of that, he probably wasn't the fastest fullback in general. Uh, but yeah, geez, the, the good kickers are starting to really key into it, and Reynolds did that a hundred percent last night. Yeah, it's so for the for people that aren't as aware of this, literally every team. Once you get into the red zone, plays the fullback in the defensive line because it just it makes it a make, it gives bigger numbers in the line, makes it harder to get around the defence at that point, and uh, the fullback generally, as soon as the ball's played, will look at the way that the the ball, what direction it's going, they'll go back and across. So while as the line moves forward or they're supposed to move forward the defensive line, the fullback cuts as fast as they can behind that line uh, following the ball. Now, you will get teams that are very good at, at going one way, then quickly going the other, and they catch the fullback sprinting one way and then having to turn and go back the other. And it's it's very hard to get back and recover from that. So when you've got fullbacks who are very good at anticipating what's about to happen, reading the plays, the favourite plays of opposition uh, playmakers, uh, ones that are that are naturally fast, that can have the pace to get across, they can cover it. Um, Gutherson is not quite handling that at the moment. And again, this is not a knock on the king. It is not a knock on the king or his effort, because if you're there at the game and you pay attention to the movement that's being done by fullbacks, I doubt that there's any position on the field that has to cover as much territory as a fullback does, just with their movement, without even doing anything. They are moving from one side of the field to the other non-stop. They are some of the fittest players you would ever see. And Gutherson fits well and truly into that. But... I'm just wondering whether there is an alternative for us. The Broncos didn't get around our defence last night. We've had a lot of question marks about, uh, you know, teams like South being able to get around our edges and that we we don't slide or our defensive systems let us down so that there always seems to be an overlap. There wasn't any, any real uh, major issues with that. They were scoring in... Uh, a little bit closer to the ruck and mostly off kicks when they were when they were going wide. So, uh, mate, uh, I, I'm I'm just worried that, as you said, there's a lot of teams are dialing into the issues that the Kings haven't on kicks and covering kicks that are in behind the line um, and reading what's going on. 
And the problem and is the, that they're, they're the sort of teams the, that are going to be heavy on the schedule, both on the run home and into the postseason. You know, the ones with the good and halves. The, and the thing is, there is nothing that would validate dropping the king, right? Because he's he's still putting in the sort of you know the effort that's needed there. But I, I don't know if I have a solution because even if you thought to yourself, well. Look, Gutho really needs to recharge. We'll give him a week off, just to you know get get his uh, freshen up the body, whatever the case may be, whatever he might need. It then becomes, who do you play at fullback? And I and I, I think it's even silly to start considering options there, but because you know the king's there for what another three years, mm-hmm. and the twenty five, I believe, yeah. So, I mean, do we find, do we have to come up with a different uh, defensive system for our fullback? That's, oh, that's, it's I'm a big, thinking, it's a big question, isn't it? Do. Yeah. yeah, I think so. I think maybe, at least inside the 20. Yeah. Because in, in general play, I don't think it's as much of an issue because I think his engine lets him get to the ball uh, by and large unless it's an incredible kick that, you know, most fullbacks have problems with in terms of 40-20s and whatnot. But maybe we do have to reevaluate our red zone defense. Yeah, so, um, mate, there's look, we we can't we can't hide the the problem areas from last night. The maybe the only way that I'm buoyed by this is that um, with so many tries that were coming off kicks, uh, I mean that can that's identified as an area that we can fix. But you also identified the lack of the desire for the big collision the broncos now we, we've used the term before and people use that to use the term of wanting it more they found something more it's not wanting it more they found something more i think i think para wanted it i think brisbane found it and we didn't and they are a much different proposition to last year um, the the difference that it's made to those young players having a couple of seasoned players like Capel and Reynolds in the team. Again, I have to say, if you you really get an appreciation of it when you're when you're at the ground and you are watching these blokes in action, not just where the cameras are going during the play. It's it's all the off the ball stuff. It, it's it's all the management, the organising of people around them. It's. Um, yeah, it just it, Reynolds was just so composed. I couldn't, I couldn't wrap him more enough. He he must now mark down on the calendar when he gets to play Parramatta because he had such a good run with Souths, mm-hmm. and we just could never contain that aspect of his game, that kicking aspect of his game, that composure, that calmness. And now he's he's taken that to the Broncos. And the worst thing is, South is still finding it <laughs> if they played us. Yeah, but he's he's made them a genuine threat. And when we spoke, as people would have heard earlier in this, when we spoke to Steve Ella, Steve Ella hasn't given up on Parramatta and what we can achieve because he he said he's you know as he says we've beaten the best and that you know we are a threat to the Panthers. But geez, we've got to be. Um, Lifting again. You you're you're anticipating a big lift this week, aren't you? Yeah. Well, when in the I was in our chat with Steve. I sort of looked at the mirroring of what happened last time. We were running into the Panthers. We went up to Darwin and got pantsed 
by the Cowboys. So at that point, we sort of had an inkling they were going to be a pretty good team this year because they'd been red hot from rounds two through to our game after dropping that opening game against the Dogs, I think, in, in round one. And I, I don't know, was it a case of back then, did we just have half an eye on the Penrith Panthers because they are the benchmark in the NRL? Maybe. That's what the results sort of point towards when we got whooped by the Cowboys and then turned around and played on a short week with you know our six-string back line and some awful officiating against the, uh, you know, we talk about that kick-out, miss-knock-on and whatnot. Uh, we, we played one of the games of the season to knock over the Panthers. Maybe it's a similar case here where we went into camp Strictly speaking, you'd, you'd want to hope that the boys were 100% dialed in on the Brisbane Broncos. But I think the specter of the Panthers might just be that big. They're that good that maybe half an eye again was looking towards round 20. But we have to be better than that, John. We I, I, I agree. I agree. Uh, and it is incredibly frustrating. And yeah, I'm not going to say that the Cowboys game was winnable, uh, given what we know about that team now and the conditions up there. It might have just been a case that we still would have lost. Uh, but... I don't know. Just we we didn't feel like a team that was fully focused in that. that oh, mate that that kickoff. What about the era off the kickoff? Yeah, like that. That is especially when there's only eleven thousand crowds in this. Eleven thousand fans in the crowd. You can't make the excuse that you know the the calls for mine uh, get drowned out. That's schoolboy stuff. Come on, guys. Like you're better yeah. than that. You are, and that 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 literally spotted the Broncos six points. Yeah. You yeah, know, and we, uh, we'd actually had some momentum going or uh, well, coming out of the half after we scored that try 12 and 13. Will Penasini was going to be back in 60 seconds from the kickoff, and we still found a way to turn the ball over and get scored on. Yeah. Well, it, the previous week, I giggled to myself when the Tigers got penalised for timing out with the scrum when they had the feed. And I thought, how embarrassing for a team. And then we literally had a hold my beer moment. Yeah, with it's that. a it's the rugby league equivalent of the, you know, the those silly grammatical errors. Dot your eyes, cross your T's. You gotta get that, yeah. that 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 stuff is bread and butter. You gotta get that stuff done. You cannot let a shot clock bleed out in possession like the West Tigers did. And you cannot have a miscued kickoff from Adam Reynolds of all people. If he's gonna spot you twenty meters of, of territorial advantage, you gotta catch that ball. And say thank you. So yeah, I don't know. now, so, mates. I I I hate to bring this up right now, but I really want to. I really want to say something because I've said it on Twitter. I've said it on Instagram. The I'm, I'm trying to think of the right adjective, the uh, or, or, or perhaps the right noun even to use to describe the people last night that chose to boo one of our own, first of all, when the team list was being read out and then when the player took the field. I don't know about you, mate. I, I wanted to vomit when I heard that because I've never been more ashamed of being in the ground at a, in, at a home match to hear home supporters doing that. Um. I wish people like that would piss off. They don't. They shouldn't be in. They shouldn't be in Combank Stadium. You don't have a right to do that. You have a. You have a right to vent how you see the action going. But, and you you have a right to express your opinion. But 
when you start booing kids and when you start booing someone that's wearing the blue and gold jersey that's about to go out there and do battle and you're booing them before they even get out there, but, and the I don't is, you know, know It's not even like you're booing them because they're a bad person off the field. And, the, you know, let's say that there's been a Matt Lodge incident and you you want to, you know, vocalise your displeasure at the club for like, picking a player like that. Okay, you're literally booing a young kid here who was just trying to play football. Who was a, and and I know people are going to try and invoke the surname as a reason for why we're defending him. It could have been uh, John Smith or you know John Doe. You don't do that. You don't boo a young kid that's you know in the lineup. And it's just it's deplorable. It's it, one of those things that makes you embarrassed to share the same colours as those fans. What message does it send to the playing group? What message does it send to potential recruits? And people might say this is this is nothing, but it. But the players, the players notice this stuff. The, the players it notice says, this stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely, they do. And but it, it it says something that there is a there is a toxic culture out there that I mean we've talked about aspects of of the team that needs to be improved and um we banged on about the 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 mental approach that seems that we just wish we could cut out like the some of the weak mental approach in games that we wish we could cut out and get rid of but just as bad is uh is a, a the toxic culture of those that claim that they support the club that is not support it's absolutely it's sickening it's disgusting probably we shouldn't give it airtime and you know there are people out there trying to friggin well validate oh, 100%. being able to do Look, that we live, Mate, we already, live in a, we live in a world people to, I've asked people to unfollow me we i've live. asked you know i i've blocked some people this morning because as soon as they've they put their hand up and said no that's fine by me i'm done and you know what I don't want people who have that attitude to to have any interest in reading I, the Cumberland Trove. But the thing is, we live in a world where just last week a 15 and 16-year-old were able to rationalise sending death threats to Mitchell Moses. So it is no surprise that uh, people are able to cobble together in their minds a plausible reason to hate a young kid simply for playing football. So it's unfortunate. And like you said, if you do subscribe to that theory, then we don't want you. Uh, it's easy as that. We're happy to have critical discussion of the Parramatta Reels. Like we said, we've we've you know leveled some criticism at core players in this podcast. You know, like like you said, it's not a personal attack on players like Quentin Gufferson, but you know we're able to say you had a bad game. It happens, and you know. Teams- oh look, there's been there's 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 been plenty of criticism that um, people who come onto our site and add replies and comments to our posts have put up there, be it about. The coach, the players, whatever the mm-hmm. case may be, that there, hasn't been blocked. There, there is that a, hasn't been taken down. Like we, we are happy for people to have opinions that don't cross the line in terms of becoming personal abuse. And but by that same token, it, we maintain a certain standard, uh, you know, that is expected of people inside the TCT community. And if you do not want to meet that standard, uh, this, once again, we have so many fantastic people in our community. This is not an attack on you guys, but if you think it's fine to boo a young kid like as he's been named in a game or coming onto the field, 
simply because he is playing football and not because there is an underlying issue elsewhere, you know, off the field, then there's something wrong with you. Yeah, yeah. And I, I really didn't want to – I was hoping to um, avoid it, but, I, I'm, you know, it's it's just eaten away at me. And as a supporter, I just I, – I couldn't let that go because – we didn't we didn't speak about it last night as part of our podcast where that's got no place in in what we present to the the people that turn up and 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 want to hear us talk footy and talk with a legend but i think it's i think it has its place for us to to say that it's a no go area as far as we're concerned and um if you don't like our takes on that so be it but we're and and we're happy, as I said, we're happy for you to not visit our site, to not follow our social media because we're not going to back down on that because it's just not on. Mm-hmm. And it and as you said, John, it's it's especially infuriating when it's a, a young kid. But it wouldn't matter who it was. I, I'd be banging on if if any of those those players were copping booze. Before they even took the field for, last for, for night. the crime like of being a football player, that that is literally what it is. Like I said, there is no sinister off-field incident here hanging over the spec as a spectre over anyone here. They're literally being judged unfairly for being a football, and it's disgraceful. So, like you said, like I said, uh, we we are happy to have robust discussion on TCT. I think it's one of the, our real core tenets that we've been happy to uphold. You know, through thick and thin, there's been plenty of good, but also some bad times in the time we've been active as an entity. Uh, but this is one of the things that we're going to put our banner in the ground and, and not budge on. So, yeah, like I said, the vast majority of our fans, this is not going to be an issue because you guys know how to have critical discourse. You know how to say good and bad things in the right way. Yeah, and and by the way, if if you're a, a Broncos fan and you were booing Parramatta supporters, go for your life. <laughs> that's that's the that's the joy in cheering for your team and yeah. and, and cheering against the opposition. Uh, but it, it, so quite simply, if you if your preference is to boo your own players, then support the other teams. You go and find another team, and you can boo every single Eels player and coach and and us and whoever you like because you're now supporting a different team and you have the right to do that. But don't, like, seriously, the word support, think about it. You support. You support the, the team, the players. Come on. doesn't mean you can't have your opinions and be critical, but, geez, uh, way, way to encourage the team before they go out in the field. Uh, anyway, let's have a, an eye forwards now, 60s, as we look towards round 20. Penrith Panthers coming into town. Parramatta looking to sweep the reigning premiers. Still their only loss on the 2022 season. We have uh, the one that we handed him going back to, what was it, round eight? No, round nine uh, over at Blue Bat Stadium. Uh, following that, we go to Four Pines, take on Manly. Then it's the return fixture against the Bunnies, the Dogs, and the Broncos. And the season caps off with a home game against the Melbourne Storm. So tell you what, I don't think there's, even factoring Canterbury, I don't think there's any gimmies in there anymore. No, there isn't, and, and I'm going to be honest. I'm going to need a couple of days before we do our news, and then even another day or two on top of that for the preview, just to get my thoughts together. Because I'm I'm trying to find ways to uh, expect a better performance. 
I'm struggling right now, mate. I'm going to be honest. I am struggling right now. I said that at the start of our our quick recap here. Well, it, has, it hasn't really been that quick, has no, it? No, it has not anymore. It was, <laughs> it was brief at one point, but then we decided to have a second swing at it. We came off the interchange after having a bit of a, a rest, and, yeah, we've, we've torn in for a good 60-minute uh, performance as a front row forward. Yeah, so I'm going to... I'm going to regroup. I'm going to, over the next couple of days, I'm going to find some things to be positive about. But right now, I'm doing it tough. Um, so uh, bear, bear with me, people. Bear with me. I fully expect us to rip in on Friday night against Penrith, if I'm going to be you know, brutally honest. I think we're going to have a, a... Maybe we don't win. Maybe we do. I think we're going to have a real red-hot crack. And part of me is going to be upset at that because why didn't we do it for the week before? But... It's got to be something they maintain from here on in because there is there is no more we're going to build into the finals. The, the building of the finals, we're in the middle of it right now. It's going to be round yes. 20. you got another, what was it, five games after that? So Yeah. You, and, and suddenly, you know, we're, we're, we're long shots at the top four now, but we're not secure in the top eight either. Like we have, no, we, we, do, we do have a buffer. We do have a buffer. It is coming into this round. We're on 11 wins with every other team having a game in hand. So the Roosters are down at eight in ninth and Manly, uh, sorry, they're in nine with eight wins and Manly are eight with nine wins. So you've got the reverse numbers there. Uh, but that can slip very quickly if you drop a couple of games. So start with Penrith and then do not take your foot off the pedal. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, we, uh, and, and I suppose we, we had that that slip last year, but we were entrenched in the eight. Um this year, as you said, it's it's going to be, um, yeah, a bit more of that precipice that you spoke about last night. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, plenty of work to do for our boys, and it's not all doom and gloom by any means. We know this team is capable of mixing it with the best and and beating them in the most adverse of conditions. They just got to figure. I'll out find. Something. I'll find it, mate. I will. I will get there. I'll assure the listeners. I'm gonna. I'm gonna get there. I'm, I'll. I'll be working on it. I'll be working on that positivity. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, a bit of our perspective, obviously, for all fans this week after dropping a game against the Brisbane Broncos. Uh, yeah, it was, one, as I sort of summed up in this thing, the Broncos were good, had a bit of luck go their way too. Eels, they weren't awful, which is probably one of the most frustrating things, is that the, the chances were there in the game, but they could not seize them, ended up costing them pretty dearly. But now we look forward to the Penrith Panthers game, which is probably our point to shout out. Um, obviously, we're there live from Jack's Bar and Grill in the wake of every win and loss at Combank Stadium this year. But round 20 is something of a meet TCT round. We're going to have all the contributors and uh, members of TCT on hand in the post-game show for anyone that wants to come up and say hello. If you want to meet me. And our extended friends and family exactly. there too. So like any, there's, a, there's a number of uh, identities out there that will be uh, joining us for um, our, our get-together and... Uh, it'll be a good opportunity for people to get there and they can say good day to our, our Twitter guy, Mitch. We've mm-hmm. got our, our grades fella, Goal. We'll probably, we're, I'm hoping that we can get Shelly up there as well because she has a, a long drive from uh, down on the south coast. Uh, Mary Kay from Ladies Who League will be there. We've got, so we've got, Plenty of people that we we know will be there at the moment, and we're organising a few more. Uh, we're going to find out who our legend is within the next couple of days, and it will be look. We're going to enjoy ourselves, win or lose, but let's hope we're celebrating a win 
after the Panthers game next Friday night at Paraleagues. Yes, sir. And as always, thanks for sticking around and listening to us yammer on for what was very briefly a brief podcast, but then we've managed to crack the hour mark as we all want to do. Um, I think it was constructive and instructive. Uh, this was a case where uh, I think the boys will go back on the film and there's going to be some stuff to look at positively and negatively. And I think I think they're going to turn it around with the uh, benefit of was it an eight-day turnaround now into the into the Penrith game. They're going to come out and, and with all guns blazing. Yeah, let's uh, let's start that positive mindset now. Sounds yes. good, mate. Go yes, your wheels. Sir. Catch you guys next episode.